Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And Biden allocating presidential medals to election officials and police officers, calling them heroes. This says today marks the two-year anniversary of the January 6th Capitol breach. And today's Iris Tao brings us more. Marking the second anniversary of the January 6th Capitol breach. On January the 6th, our democracy was attacked. President Biden holds a ceremony at the White House, honoring members of the Capitol Police who defended the building on that day. You held the line that day, and what was on the line was our democracy. For the first time in his presidency, Biden presents the Presidential Citizens Medals. Today, 12 individuals, including officers and election workers, were given the award. America is a land of laws and not chaos, and history will remember your names. Over the past two years, Biden has often used the events of January 6 to target what he calls mega-Republicans. He also made it a central political theme ahead of the midterms. Democracy is in the ballot for all of us. The House January 6th committee, which is now disbanded, largely blamed former President Trump for inciting what happened on January 6th. The House Republicans released its own January 6th report in December, suggesting, quote, leadership and law enforcement failures within the U.S. Capitol left the complex vulnerable. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Some Americans who attended the protests on January 6th and who were arrested are still waiting for their cases to be heard. They've been held without bail for almost two years. One of those prisoners is Jake Lang, and he joined us earlier by phone from a maximum security federal penitentiary. Here's what he had to say. Jake Lang, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Steve, how's it going, brother? God bless. Great to have you here with us, Jake. So, Jake, this is uh, officially, I guess, two years now from January 6th, um, the, the, the Capitol breach. Um, you've been incarcerated with no trial, what some might say zero due process. Where does everything stand with your case? Get us up to speed if you could. Yeah, Steve, it's been over 720 days now. I've been a political prisoner in our own country, right here in America, um, without any trial. My trial, um, God forbid, I will be sitting in prison for 30 months this June 2023. Um, I get my shot at justice. And uh, it's been a hard-fought battle just to get here, um, legally speaking. Spiritually, God's been with me and all the Jan Sixers every step of the way. Um, you know, our faith is what keeps us strong and our convictions to defend American liberty um, all the way to the death if need be uh, have brought us here and uh, we continue to, to rely and uh, remain in our faith and in, with our resolve. So uh, my legal battle is, uh, you know, it's, it's materializing, it's back and forth. We've filed so many different motions and the government's fired back on them. Um, they haven't been uh, willing to give me bond yet. We're going for another bond motion so I can get home and prepare for trial because um, I haven't really been able to review discovery, have any meaningful contact with my attorney. Um, everything's being eavesdropped in and spied on, and the government's just trying to thwart and silence me every step of the way. It's despicable. What happened that day specifically with you? Did you ever breach the Capitol yourself? Did you make your way into the Capitol? 
So I never got physically inside the Capitol. Um, I was uh, outside the Capitol defending my country and defending all the people's lives around me. And there was people literally being slaughtered in front of me. Uh, this poor 34-year-old woman, Roseanne Boylan, God rest her soul, she's a, a hero patriot who gave her full life, her full measure for this country. Uh, she died in my arms on the steps of the Capitol, and that's as far as I ever made it. Your book, uh, Patriot Prisoner, if you could tell us about uh, what you wrote about. Yeah, so um, this book that I've put together throughout the, these last two years is really just the entire January 6th story from the inside the prisons from somebody who's actually there at the Capitol. Uh, I believe this is the first book put out by January 6th political prisoner. Um, it covers, you know, the lead up to January 6th, um, uh, my, my family background, who I am as an entrepreneur, as a New Yorker, as a man uh, of God. Um, and then it covers every gruesome detail of January 6th. And then from there, it talks about these last 24 months, I've been uh, pushed around to 11 different prisons, the, the internal struggles of the legal battle, fighting against the largest uh, force ever applied to American citizens, every single department of the FBI, the DOJ, the U.S. Marshals, the U.S. Attorney's Office, you name it, they're coming after us full force. So this book really just is full, fully comprehensive and covers everything January 6th and even leads off into where I think the country's going and how we can stop it from hurtling over the edge into communism. So let me ask you, Jake, as time goes by, do you think that your case has been weakened or strengthened now with uh, the January 6th uh, committee, uh, all of those hearings and, and, and as things, you know, progress? Do any... Um logical American, I think that they would agree that our case has been strengthened because the January 6th Select Committee showed uh, kind of this Banana Republic show trial, un-American, no defense, uh, no other side of the story. And so it really painted a negative picture of uh, these institutions. Uh, a, a, a Congress run by Democrats is no Congress at all. They're willing to um, go on these witch hunt trials after January 6th or so. No no real red-blooded American believes anything that's coming out of the January 6th Select Committee. There are ridiculous and obnoxious uh, um, pushes to get Trump arrested and, and throw him in, with us, in here with us. I mean, they have no, they have no merit, and uh, I think the American people see right through them as a bunch of puppets um, for communist uh, dictatorship that they're trying to turn our country into. Jake, it might be hard for people to believe because you're actually calling out to us, but you are literally sitting in prison right now, correct? Yes, I'm sitting in a federal maximum security penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, that's currently where I've been housed, my 11th different facility. Jake Lang, we appreciate you uh, finding a way to, to call in and uh, share your story. Thank you, Steve. God bless you. God bless Epic. Thank you. We recently had a chance to speak with Reverend Kevin McGarry. McGarry is the author of the book, Woked Up, and the founder of the organization Every Black Life Matters. It's an organization aimed at helping the black community while pushing back against what he called the woke agenda of Black Lives Matter. He'll discuss with us some of the challenges the black community faces in America and some of the solutions. Reverend Kevin McGarry, thank you so much for joining us. Steve, it's a pleasure, a real honor to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, Kevin, I wanna ask you, I think the vast majority of Americans don't see or think about race. They just judge uh, folks based on mutual respect. 
Yet when there's an incident that occurs where race is at the center, it becomes magnified and gives the sort of feeling that this is a widespread issue throughout the country. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I, I, I think that uh, the whole woke movement has really betrayed us. Uh, it has us focus on things, more things like emotions as opposed to content of character. Uh, content of character has not uh, has really done us well over the past 50 or so years. Uh, when uh, Dr. Martin Luther King made that statement uh, about his daughters uh, being able to view, uh, you know, with us being able to view one another based on content of character and not color of skin, uh, this is this has really worked well for us. But I think the woke movement, because it is strictly emotional, is trying to provoke us uh, into a divisive sort of antagonistic uh, way to where we can't get along. I think in the end, it's, it creates more division, more peril, and it's not healthy for any relationships, let alone relationships within uh, small groups or, or work environments. Now, speaking of the woke movement, you've actually written a book. Uh, the title is called Woked Up. Uh, you talk about some of the biggest challenges uh, facing the, the black community. There it is. Uh, fantastic read, uh, by the way. Oh, thank you. What are what are some of the solutions, do you think? Well, the solution is for us to finally embrace truth. If we really want to stand against white supremacy and racism, uh, let's do that. Let's look at the root of where that, that whole modern day white supremacy and racism comes from. And let's stand against all of those forces. Now, if we were to do that, that would mean that we would stand against Darwinism, any form of Darwinism. We would stand against Marxism, any form of Marxism. We would stand against Saul Linsky and his community organizing any form of that, because that is the root, it's those things are rooted in white supremacy and racism. So if we were sincere, which, you know, most people who uh, have a slightly different perspective and are coming from a leftist progressive perspective, they're not sincere, because if they were sincere, they'd They'd be all in. They'd say, "Okay, look, let's let's get rid of uh, any anything Darwinistic, Marxist, or Alinsky type, and uh, let's go forward, uh, recognizing one another based on uh, content and not color." But uh, because we're in the cycle that we're in now, I don't know exactly how we're going to end uh, this, uh, you know, this relative, uh, you know, state that we're in right now. I think wokeism is has sort of plateaued, and I think we are going to see a curve downward, but it is going to take probably a little bit more time. It's going to take books like mine and other books to come out and and, and assertively uh, fight against the woke movement, because it is the woke movement that is uh, actually, uh, you know, creating a lot of this chaos in our communities, in our households, um, and we, we really need to figure out a way to, to combat it, and the way that we combat it is with truth. Historical truth. I, I want to get your thoughts on a policy issue. There, there's a lot to be said about the ideas, uh, for sure, that you mentioned with the cultural Marxism. Um, when it comes to government spending, there, there's much of it going on these days. Is the money directed to urban communities going to the right projects from your perspective? And where could or should some of this funding be going if it's not already? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we spent over a trillion dollars in uh, inner city, uh, you know, government handouts uh, trying to create a dependent class. 
And what I mean by trying to create, I mean literally. I mean LBJ's uh, infamous statement that we're going to have these N-words voting for us for the next 200 years. It was purposeful and strategic for them to create a dependent class. So uh, to your question, is that money being well spent? Well, if your goal is to create a dependent class in perpetuity, uh, yeah, it's going exactly where it's just being spent and frivolously uh, not being, uh, no one's being held to account. But if we actually want to empower these communities, the first thing that we would do is we would encourage fatherhood and we would encourage uh, school choice programs. We would spend the money within these communities to encourage healthier family units and healthier educational platforms, which would mean school choice, chart, which would include charter, parochial, uh, you know, uh, homeschool networks, whatever it takes uh, to give us the uh, flexibility for the various learning uh, habits of, uh, of our children, because our children are not cookie cutter. They learn at different degrees in different ways with different types of methodologies and parents know best. So parents should be empowered uh, to provide uh, healthy uh, school education platforms, if you will, for their children. And uh, those are the types of platforms we would invest in if we wanted to reduce poverty, crime and ge generational poverty. That's where the money should be spent. Reverend Kevin McGarry, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you, Steve. Really pleasure to be here. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.